Terms listeners, and welcome back to another great episode. I am your host, Catherine Cuscatlan. My guest this week is Amy Lynn. She's a first assistant director, and she's been working in the industry for about 30 years. She's worked on many shows that you've heard of, Law & Order, The Talented Mr. Ripley, Finding Forrester. Most recently, she was first AD on a film called Like Father, starring Seth Rogen, Kelsey Grammer, and Kristen Bell. I really, really enjoyed talking with Amy Lynn. She has all kinds of amazing stories from set and um, really brought me back to my own roots. You know, I started as a PA as well, and I spent about three or four years um, working in various crew positions before I started grad school. And there is something so exciting about being part of a big circus family of dozens of people that are all working together to make a movie happen. It's really an experience unlike any other. Um, Amy and I talked a little bit about that, and uh, here's what she said. What happens is the crew, the film crew, they become your family. They are your family. Like, that is your family. That is your love relationship. And then you eat, and you sleep, and you and you work together, and you play together, and sometimes you sleep together, you know what I mean? <laughs> Not always in the same bed, maybe at the same hotel. But they're the last people you see before you go to bed, and they're the first people you see when you get up in the morning, and um, you become a unit. Really glad to share this interview with you. Um, she is full of amazing stories and insight and advice. You're listening to On Her Terms. I'm Catherine Cuscatlan. I'll see you on the other side. Amy, you're the first first AD that I've had hey. a chance to speak with, so I'm very excited cool. to pick your brain. Yeah. For those people who don't know, uh-huh. what is the role of a first assistant director? Um, managing time. Mm-hmm. I manage time, and I work between the producer and the director um, to get the most bang for our buck, the most out of the script. So they'll give me a script, and I'll break it down. And breaking it down means I'll put it into a program uh, and strip it out and, you know, just take it apart and then give my opinion of how many days I think you need to shoot it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, like, episodic is eight days with the nine, nine, eight, nine days. So if they give me a TV script and it boards out to ten days, I say, that's not possible. Or uh, movie scripts, you know, like they'll give me a number that they want me to reach, and uh, then I'll board it out and say, no, you're not going to really have. That's not going to. So they trust me with my experience, my experience uh, of managing time and what it takes to shoot a scene, you know? It, and it's uh, like a big, you know, something we always talk about is in uh, Ben Hur, the chariot race was one eighth of a page. You know, so it's like <laughs> you can't judge it by page count, you know. Mm-hmm. So like a script that I'm breaking down right now, I mean, these kids are swimming in a reservoir. So, But that's really time-consuming. So even though it's a small scene, you know, you have to allow this much time for it, you mm-hmm. know, or a stunt, you know. What about kids swimming in a reservoir takes so much time? Um, well, you're going to have the, have the safety of it, and water photography takes time, um, putting cameras um, into uh, equipment that protect them from water, um, making sure it's safe, and the whole hot and cold of it, you know, keeping the cast warm, you know, and uh, there's just a lot of variables, and also logistics. Mm-hmm. Um so you prep all of that in advance of making the film or the TV show. Mm-hmm. And then once you're on set, what's your role when you're on set? I'm the voice of reason. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, uh, um, I manage it to make sure that the machine runs smoothly. So now I've you know made a deal with the devil, right? You know, I've told the producers, we can get this day in 12 hours. And so then there we are. And um, so I, with my staff, uh, there's a second AD who just does logistics of getting people ready. Uh, So we work to make the machine run smoothly so that we can shoot the day within those hours. Mm -hmm. Now, if an actor shows up late because his or her alarm didn't go off, you know, um, a lot of times we have to make up for that time. 
mm-hmm. um, unfortunately. It doesn't seem fair, but that's how it is. And uh, Or a camera breaks down. Um, now, I can call in all those things and say, we're an hour behind because this happened. We're two hours behind because this happened. Um, and, you know, sometimes they'll say okay, and sometimes they'll say, you got to make that time up. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, I was doing a TV show, and um, a big TV show, um, and uh, we had this stunt sequence uh, where um, a car is coming around the corner, and there's a lot of gunfire coming down the street. And there was a van, a city van, New York City van, like worked with like either Homeland Security or um, some city hall, something. But they left this van there, and we couldn't get it moved. And mm. it was like in the middle of what where we wanted to do the shootout. And so not being able to move that van cost me so much time because we had to reconfigure it. It was a very narrow street. It was one of those narrow streets downtown, you know, by Pace College, mm-hmm. so right by the Brooklyn Bridge. So it's really, it's really only a one-lane road. Mm-hmm. And um, so with this van there, it just totally screwed us up. And uh, I'll just never forget that day. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, so we were like three three hours behind, three, four hours behind, because we had to re-block all of it. You wow. Know? That's another thing. Sorry, mm-hmm. prep. So you need to prep. That's the, the whole thing. That's what I do with the director. So once I make the schedule, then before shooting, you prep with the director. Mm-hmm. And um, I always say that, you know, you need to go into battle, you know, mm-hmm. prepped, you know. And so that's one of those things where we had already blocked that shootout. It was um, this director that I was working with was really high profile. And he, um, you know, he's now the showrunner on Westworld. I mean, this guy knew what the hell he was doing. And it really screwed. It really, I can't even stress how it just effed us up so bad. How come you couldn't tow it? Because of its um, clout. Oh, um, we weren't allowed to tow it uh, because it was a city vehicle or, uh, you know, Homeland Security or whatever it was. And well, it was left there overnight. And so, anyway. Can, can you make a guesstimate of how much money you think was lost in those three or four hours? Uh, um, shush. I don't know. Like, each day is over 100000 right? So, mm-hmm. I don't know, like in 10, 15. Yeah. 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 That's crazy. Yeah. So, it's time and money. Time, time equals money. So it sounds like, I mean, there's so much that goes into being a first AD, and one of the main things is that you seem to have this immense working knowledge of every single part of this, like, machine, which is what you said before. Mm-hmm. This is, it's sort of like a machinery. Every department, who does what, mm-hmm. you know, who's responsible for what, and then also the producer's demands and the director's demands are both funneling to you. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Yeah, I started um, as a parking PA. <laughs> I started as a parking PA, and I mean, I think that you need to know all all the levels of the business. Of the business, mm-hmm. um, you know, I always say I came from the school of hard knocks, but it's true. I mean, you know, um, I did apply for the DGA training program, and I was working as a PA, and I, I didn't pass the DGA training program test. Because I'd been up all night shooting a movie in the rain, and I came in, and I was soaking wet, and I just couldn't do it. And um, so mm-hmm. anyway, but... Um, so is the, for, is the DGA training program something that anyone can apply for, yes. or do you have to have industry experience? Before? No, anyone can okay. apply. And what exactly is the... What would be the benefit of doing that versus just starting at the bottom and working your way up? Uh, you have job placement. Uh, with them for the, I think it's a two-year program, so you'll be placed on jobs mm-hmm. um, and high-level jobs and working with ADs that might not have uh, hired you or mm-hmm. no, 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 you know, know you, mm-hmm. um, and um, you get to work side-by-side side with them, mostly helping the second AD, which is really about the tomorrow, the advance, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, and planning the next day, you know. Mm-hmm. So the first AD, I'm in today. And my second AD is in tomorrow and next week and -hmm. next month. And always, you know, like, uh, we've got, you know, don't forget we're going to make snow when we go to Central Park. You know, make sure special effects has the, you know, permits and, Mm -hmm. you know, all that stuff. So they're always in tomorrow and I'm in 
in today, minute, minute, literally minute to minute. So do you think that um, your career could have benefited from being in the training program versus what you went through, which was just working? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So it's just two years long and then you're all of a sudden doing it. Then you're eligible to be in the DGA. Then you have to get a job. Someone has to hire you. I see. So, I mean, it's, um, you know, um, it's how you do. You know, you're as good as your last job, you Mm -hmm. know, so you want to put a good face on. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I was just a runner for a while. You know what I mean? I want. I originally wanted to be in the camera department, mm. and I was a, a parking PA. Did craft service, which is my coffee, and then I was just a gopher PA on mm. set. Um, and everybody would say, like, "What do you want to do?" And I was like, "Oh, I want to be in the camera department because I I had um, an idea of um, I was a photographer, and I wanted to get into that." Mm-hmm. Um, into operating camera and being a director of photography, mm-hmm. and everybody's like, "You're so organized. You'd make a great AD." You know, and I'm like. Uh, okay. And I was like, what's, <laughs> what's that? And so, um, you know, it looked like a huge management position and, you know, there's a woman with a megaphone and she's cueing horses and it's Titan crane. I was like, that's cool. Mm-hmm. So, um, anyway, so that's the direction I went in and, um, I had my days to, you need 600 days at that time. I don't know how many you need now. It's still 600 days. Yeah. Six, well, 600 days the, as a PA to get uh-huh. into the DGA. Right. But if you're working as a second, second or a second, I think it's fewer at that mm-hmm. point. So as a PA, I worked as a PA and, um, well, actually, one of my first movies, uh, I did was, uh, I was a sec- hired as a second assistant director. I'd never been uh, I was barely a PA, and it was on a horror movie about a killer lawnmower, which was really funny. <laughs> and it was so low budget that we didn't have seconds of clothes for people. So when you were murdered, you know, <laughs> we had to go take your clothes and wash them. And then, you know, so it'd be like, uh, are the clothes out of the dryer? No, they're still in the spin cycle. Hold on, hold on. So, yeah, it was it was really funny. Called Blades. It was down in South Jersey. It was, it was hysterical. And, um... <laughs> So, um, yeah, so it's just like I learned by doing. But I think if I had been placed in jobs with the DGA, um, I think that I have a good sense. You know, like, you know, one out of five people who are PAs, like, really make it to, like, where I am. Mm -hmm. Or maybe one out of ten. I don't even know what the statistics. Maybe it's one out of 20. But, you know, if I had had those opportunities, I think, you know, working with, you know, Unlike a Martin Scorsese movie with those ads when I was first starting out, or instead of doing movies about killer lawnmowers, <laughs> um, and uh, you know running running around as a craft service PA, and like I really worked my way, I really yeah. worked my way up uh, in the business over a long period of time. Yeah, um, eighty nine, eighty nine, so really like 86 to 92, and I got in the Director's Guild in 1992. Wow. After you'd done 600 days as a PA. Yeah. And then when did you start working as a second at that point, as consistently? Um, um, pretty consistently at, at mm-hmm. 1992. That's great. Yeah. And then a second second, and then a second AD. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, it was on Copland, um, I, got, pre- I was preg- got pregnant, and wow. so I had to take some time off. For that, and uh, and that was hard. It was hard to come back after that. Not just not because I wasn't willing to come back, but the industry wasn't so willing. You know, really, because yeah. it was just odd. You know, like I would call people and be like, "Oh, you know, what's going on? I'd love to come back to work." And da da da. And they're like, "Oh, aren't you still breastfeeding?" I'm like, "No, nope, no." Wow. So and just is be- it any of your business if I am still breastfeeding? Like. Okay. At the point, after having a baby, all of a sudden people just sort of saw you as like, well, she doesn't need to, or doesn't want to work anymore. anymore. Yeah. That's so frustrating. I mean, because this is not now. I mean, now is a different time. So my son is 20 years old. So this Mm -hmm. was 20 years ago. So the the business was different 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so yeah, and it was finally, I did get a job back. Um, I remember it was a movie called 200 Cigarettes with my friend uh, Vivi Borga. Um, And uh, so that was my first job. And then I kept working uh, consistently after that. And then um, I think it was um, a couple of years ago, um, 
then I started to be a first aid day. Mm -hmm. um, it was after a movie called The Immigrant with James Gray, and I was working, and I was supposed to go down and do 12 Years a Slave as a assistant second assistant director, and then they, came, they said not to come, they're going to hire a local. So for me, I was just like, I've really got to start getting my own jobs. Mm -hmm. You know, I really want to start. And also my son is a teenager, so I didn't need to be home so much. Mm -hmm. um, but, I, you know, I was really a mom first and an AD second as far as my priorities went. So staying a second AD, I was more available, you know, in case anything happened or I could leave early on Friday nights, things like that. Whereas the first AD is usually the last one to leave. Yeah, you know, you're really, I mean, you're really under contract, mm -hmm. you know, and that idea where it's like, you know, Russ never sleeps. You know, right. it's like right. you're just on, you're like, you're on call all the time. All the time. Yeah. Well, second stressful. AD, too. Mm -hmm. Second AD, too. So, I mean, you're really, it's like a military operation, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, you're doing a tour of duty. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what it feels like, you know? And yeah. it's the most important thing. Yeah. Know? Like, oh, sorry, your kid's sick. Uh, you got that schedule ready? You know what I mean? It's right. Like, Constant. Yeah. Constant, yeah. Yeah, I mean, of of... I don't want to necessarily... I mean, I guess ev everybody on a film set is always... Is working very long hours. Yeah. Um, it's just a... It's a tough career in general when you have kids. Yes. Um, especially because, you know, you can get a call the day before a job starts. And then all of a sudden you have to put aside like a month of your time. Absolutely. <clears throat> there was a movie, um, The Bronx is Burning. It was like actually for ESPN. It was a mini... Uh, what do you call them? Mini series, and um, it was about the uh, series that book, uh, "The Bronx Is Burning," about Billy um, Martin, the Yankees. Uh, what was it? The Amazing Yankees. What? No, that was the Amazing Mets. Uh, <laughs> the years it was Reggie Jackson, Catfish Hunter. I mean, it was you know it was it was uh, back in the day, Yogi Berra and Billy Martin. It was a very historic time, and so there's this is this movie. And so uh, they fire uh, the first AD, or the fir the first AD walks off and takes his whole staff with him, just because he gets in a fight with John Turturro and leaves. Wow! So I get a call. I'm like literally at home caulking my bathtub, and I get a call. Can you be in New Haven um, at six thirty p.m. tonight? And I'm like, uh, okay, maybe. And uh, they're like, yeah, we just need you to come. These people left, and could you just, you know, we don't know what's happening, but can you come here tonight at 6.30? I'm like, okay. So I have to go to my son's school and mm -hmm. tell him that I'm leaving. I have to go find my husband who works out in the woods to tell him that I'm leaving. And so <laughs> off I go, and um, I get there, and it's this huge mo I didn't really know what it was. It's this huge miniseries. You know, it's like 10, 11 episodes, right? And I, like, step into it. There's, like, trailers full of script revision. They didn't, like, warn you oh, as like, to, like, how long you would need to be there? No, no. Like I ended up going, ended up going to Old Navy and buying socks and underwear. <laughs> um, so it was in New London, Connecticut. Yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, so I get there. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's the Yankees, so it's this whole sports team. So the only uh, advantage I had was that when I was in high school, that was the, that was the team, mm -hmm. you know, like, so I knew all the players. So, you know, they gave me the set production phone, and I'm sitting in the trailer, you know, and the phone would ring, and it'd be like, hello? <laughs> like, yes, okay. And I'd be like, who do you play? Oh, Yogi Berra. Okay, great. Yogi Berra, great. And your name is Joe Grafasi. Okay, Joe Grafasi. <laughs> Hi, Joe. All right, so what would you like to know, Joe? And it was like, it's like, when am I working now? It's like, uh, you know, so I'm like looking, you know, it was just amazing. It was amazing, really. The only advantage I knew was like, I actually knew half of it. So I knew like, <laughs> I knew who Reggie Jackson was. I knew who Catfish Hunter was. Uh -huh. You know, I knew who Billy Martin was. Um, so anyway, so that was really interesting um, yeah. and bizarre and, um, it was a great job. I was, it was, you know, I was in New London, I don't know, a couple months after that. Yeah. So I did get home a few times to get some underwear and stuff, but <laughs> yeah, you never know. You never know when you're going to mm -hmm. get called, called to mm -hmm. the front line, you know, yeah. they need you stat, you know, I think it takes tremendous, um, like grit to, pursue a career in this in, in that in the ad realm for mm -hmm. as long as you have like mm -hmm. especially because of those situations that pop up on a regular basis and then 
it just puts so much pressure on all of your relationships outside of your work. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you feel like you are satisfied with your career the way it's, you know, where you are now, or is there any other line of work that you would have pursued looking back? Absolutely. I would have pursued something different. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) But I think I'm 27 years in the director's guild. I'm 56 years old. I have four more years till I can uh, get my full pension. Mm -hmm. So I'm at the finish. I'm really at the finish line. For me, mm-hmm. as far as, I mean, not for my life, because I feel like I'm still 16 years old, but that it's a finish line that I can go off and do something that I'd really like to do, mm-hmm. you know, um, and and that I've banked the money and my pension uh, to help me do that. Um, what is it that you'd like to do next? Um, you know, I could substitute teach in a school and work with kids, you know what I, I mean, or uh, work on a farm or, mm-hmm. you know, just do do something that is more nine to five. I mean, that idea or, you know, that uh, the thing that I miss most from life is that regular uh, schedule, you mm-hmm. know what I mean, where you can count, I, I can count, be counted on, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Or, you know, um, get tickets for something. Um, mm-hmm. I get tickets for Patti Smith on a Sunday night. She was just at Carnegie Hall. And I was like, 7 o'clock, Sunday night, November 5th, or whatever it was. It was Pathways to Paris. And Patty was like, that's safe. You know what I mean? <laughs> what could go wrong? What could go wrong? I got four <laughs> tickets, orchestra. It was like a ton of dough. And um, <laughs> anyway, I get a call. Yep, working. Friday, Saturday, Sunday nights in November. And I'm like, okay, so I didn't get to vote. Sorry, didn't get to vote because <laughs> uh, I didn't know. Um, didn't get to go to Patty Smith. So it's just like, what? Yeah. Um, but no, just to have, you know, um, I remember <laughs> I had like a couple weeks off and on the TV show. Um, and one of the actors got hurt, got injured. And suddenly in the middle of October, we found ourselves with three or four weeks off like unscheduled and um that never, s- how often does that happen That's never <laughs> and so anyway so my son's playing soccer for high school or middle school and i got a job not a job i mean i volunteered at the soccer game at the uh what do you call that the stand where they sell refreshments yeah concession the, stand the concession stand i had the best time of my life I had so much fun I was like I made brownies I made cupcakes like I bought them I was like I'm gonna make be the like the best soccer concession stand mom ever you know because that's the things you miss you know what I mean like once my son started playing junior varsity and varsity soccer I didn't get to see any of his games because none of them are on the weekends. So there I was, like, not only seeing the games, working the concession stand, totally embarrassing him, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but that that's what happens. It's like, but what happens is the crew, the film crew, they become your family. Mm-hmm. They are your family. Like, that is your family. That is your love relationship. That's where, and, and it, I, it sounds a little twisted, but it's true because that's where you're going for your self-esteem that's where you're going for your approval that's where you're going for your love Mm -hmm. and your camaraderie and your fellowship Mm -hmm. and all that because you are like in the art you're in the army it's not like you're you're in a group a military group you know what i mean and you eat and you sleep and you and you work together and you play together and sometimes you sleep together you know (laughs) what i mean not always in the same bed maybe at the same hotel but they're the last people you see before you go to bed, and they're the first people you see when you get up in the morning, and you're sharing all the, all your meals with them, mm-hmm. and um, you become a unit, and you become... I remember my son came to visit the set once, and there's a dolly grip, Kevin, and I love Kevin, and I looked at my, I looked at my son, and, the, and, and I looked at Kevin, and I said, Sam, I have spent more time with Kevin in your lifetime than I have with you just so you know and it's absolutely true (laughs) i had spent more time with this dolly grip than than my own son Um, what did your son say he was cracked he cracked up um he's you know who knows he was like in that teenage mode he's not that excited you know i wonder he's not that excited about coming and visiting or not that excited what i do because i wonder if it's because it took his mom away from him you know what i mean and um 
So, and I wish that he would have been able to come and visit more, you know, but he just wasn't able to. But I don't want to be blue and melancholy. I've had a great career. I mean, there's a reason I keep doing it. One, it is so lucrative. I mean, I, <laughs> I make, when I sign that, you know, I make a deal with the devil. I mean, yes, okay, off goes my social life, off goes my schedule, I can't volunteer at the uh, soccer commissary, uh, what concession stand. Um, <laughs> but with that comes being able to pay cash for my son's college education. Mm. With that comes, you know, a, a home, mm-hmm. a, 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 um, a place where my son can live, mm-hmm. you know, uh, some stability as far as financial stability. Yeah. So that's, that's the trade-off. And then once you're in it for a while, it's just like, what else am I qualified to do? You know, like, what else could I, what else could I do that I could make this kind of money? You know, which is, you know, over six figures, you know, six Mm -hmm. figures, it's, you know, 150 as a second AD, it's 250 as a first AD. Mm -hmm. You know, that's big money. I mean, maybe not in this world anymore, but Uh, it used to be. When you're in the DGA, do they place you no okay so you find your own work Mm -hmm. and so you're kind of and you're not getting a a flat rate per job right you're getting a day rate per job or weekly right Mm -hmm. and it's negotiated i see okay Mm -hmm. and so you're sort of you know trying you need to get as much work as you can in a year to meet that like expectation of what you hope to make Mm -hmm. Uh, exactly Mm -hmm. it's different from other unions like because iatsi will place you right absolutely yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so it's really you know you need to find your own work um, I've been approached by an agent in the last couple of years. I didn't know agents repped first ADs. Yeah, a lot more in L.A. Um, and so anyway, so I am just on a trial basis. And what it is is that if, if uh, he gets me work, then um, I will share, you know, whatever the commission is. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I get my own work, he doesn't get the commission. So that's a deal that I've made. So. I don't know. He's sent a few things. I haven't gotten a job. It's been two years, but I haven't gotten a job through the agent yet. But whatever. Try it. Try it. Yeah. Because also now I'm an empty nester. My son's at college. That um, Now I can leave town. You know, now Mm -hmm. I can go out of town and um, go to Georgia or go to Louisiana. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's what I was hoping the agent would help me do. I also think, I mean, how many first ADs? Because you live in Massachusetts, right? Uh, in the Berkshires, yeah, but I, I have a place here. So oh, that's I see, really see like a weekend house. I sort see, of. I see. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, so yeah, you get consistent work in New York then. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. People, you know, I feel like I want to take a moment to just dispel the rumor that you have to move to LA to make it in this business because so many people believe that. And yeah, so no. many people. Like, Absolutely not. Go there before they even get a job offer, and then right. they're like, "How do I do it?" You know? Yeah, no. Uh, Atlanta is a huge hub right now. Louisiana is a huge hub. New York, um, New York has fifty TV shows. You probably know more because you've done more research. But at least fifty TV shows going on. Mm-hmm. More than I think they have people right now. Yeah, I was. Yeah, there's not me. enough. There's not enough crew. Yeah. Which, really you know, if you want to make it in the industry, move to New York now. I mean, it's a great Absolutely. say Local 52, they're looking mm-hmm. for grips, electric, props, yeah. set dressers. I, I was mean. speaking to some set dressers on the street the other day. They were like, we're working double shifts, you know, two shows at once. It's uh-huh. like really a lot. Yeah, if you're a second assistant director or any of those things I just mentioned, move to New York. Yeah. Because there's no second ADs either. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, because it's so busy, I mean, something that I see, like, I've worked, you know, saying I'm in the DGA 27 years, um, but I mean, I've done my time, mm-hmm. and everything I know is because I've done it, you mm-hmm. know, and, and I said, I think it was on my last job, you know, I've worked my whole life to get to where I am today, and it's so busy now that people were a production assistant two years ago, and now they're first ADing. And and I, it makes me feel sort of, I don't know, like, really? Okay. Mm. Uh, I mean, I worked my whole life to get here, and you're just here for two years, and now you're doing what I'm doing. So mm-hmm. I feel undervalued by that or mm-hmm. devalued by that. Um, because when I moved here in, um, like, 86, there was a very elite few that did these jobs, and you wanted to get in that group, you know, mm-hmm. and um, so in the late 80s, I mean, you know, I was, 
you know, really hustling to get into the business and, you know, just showing up at production offices, dropping off my resume, showing wow. up on sets, yeah. you know what I mean, giving people my phone numbers, like super hustling. And also, um, there was this movie, Bonfire of the Vanities, which is really famous. There was a book written about it, Devil's Candy, but it was a mess. Um, it's a Brian De Palma movie. And we were all hired as PAs. All the PAs on the job are now ADs, but um, we were hired as additional PAs, which means there were no staff PAs. They were not going to promise anybody a job. So you had to perform each day. And if you did not perform, you were not asked back the next day. Oh, my god! So it was a day-to-day. It was a day-to-day job. That is so stressful. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And so anyway, the ADs on that job were a little twisted. Um, anyway, um, so, uh, so yeah, so, I mean, that's how I was raised, you know, like how fast, how high can I jump mm-hmm. to get it done? Mm-hmm. You know, smile on my face, you know, like don't complain, you know. But there is a sort of element in this industry. I think there's, you know, like, I feel like the restaurant industry is really similar where, the people at the top have had to go through so much on their way to the top that once you're there, you kind of, there's almost like a, an expectation that the people below you will then, you know, you kind of, they need to be challenged as well in uh-huh. order to make it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, not every set is like that, but there are some sets where it's like, you know, ADs and producers will kind of like really push the crew to their limits mm-hmm. in terms of like their emotional and physical stamina. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. I think, you know, like when kids first start, you know, you always have the neighbor or the friend that has the nephew that wants to start out in the business. And you're like, okay, I'll get, I'll get that person one day on set. I'll get them one day on set. And then that'll tell whether they want to do it or not, because it's a certain breed of person. I mean, mm-hmm. it's an adrenaline job. It's an adrenaline junkie job, really. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I just loved it. I just loved the camaraderie and the idea. But, you know, I just I just finished a movie for Netflix um, called Like Father, and um, it's a comedy. It's a great comedy. But we went out on – it was on, took place on a cruise ship, on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. It took place here in New York City. And um, it um, we had a couple of locations. One was in Haiti, a place called Labadee and Jamaica, and um, we got caught down in Florida in Hurricane Irma and oh that gosh. evacuation, and so it ended up that we got evacuated and the schedule got squished, and, you know, we ended up having to work a lot of days consecutively um, without days off, mm. and, you know, you're on a cruise ship. I mean, it sounds like, oh, too bad, you know, so what we tried to do was, like, just work shorter days, you know what I mean, so it, it just ended up that some days we work eight-hour days or ten-hour days. There was a day wow, that, that we like went to... <laughs> Labadee, which was, we did a scene doing zipline in Haiti, and um, the the crew kind of said, well, or, you know, I don't know who, it was like a bunch of people, the DP and other people were like, maybe we should ask the producers if we could, if we do the zipline, we'd have the rest of the day off in Labadee and just hang out, and, and so that's what we did, you know, so it was like we tried to give some some creature comforts good you know yeah and uh but there's because the, the heat i mean the heat just takes it out of you it's like a hundred and something degrees yeah and the humidity and but it was a great group of people and i mean talk about living together so we we were like un, we ate like every meal together it was like so weird. when the movie was over it was it was such a bonding experience it was like bye you guys <laughs> we'll see you later it's gonna be so weird yeah and then you go without home. you guys yeah then you go home and you wake up and it's like what that was all that was it that is so weird it is like an astronaut coming back from orbiting the earth that's what it feels like and you feel like you you know you get you get put home and you're like in this decompression chamber and you're like here's your house here's your son hi okay here's your dog hi you know there's the grocery store there's the empty fridge what are you gonna do let's do it and it's like oh my god um and uh, you know i heard an interview with james taylor once and uh they they on npr and they said oh you know it must be so hard being on the road being away from your family and everything like that and he goes well actually he goes 
when I'm on the road, somebody hands me a piece of paper, tells me where I'm supposed to be, they feed me, they drive me around, they, you know, put me to bed. And I said, when I come home, he goes, my real life baffles me. <laughs> and I, I heard that and I was like, that, I so relate, you know, because mm-hmm. that's what happens when you first get home. Like, it's like, oh my God, my real life baffles me. And it's like, all right, I guess I'll figure this out. going to mm-hmm. feed myself um, and <laughs> feed other people <laughs> and show up. Um, and so then you just get used to, you know, your neighbor just gets used to inviting you over for dinner and you just get used to your life and you get a gym membership and then the phone rings and you're off again and off, (laughs) off you go, bye, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's a really weird way of life. Mm -hmm. It really is. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's. 27 years ago and some odd years ago, it was more acceptable. But now I think in 2017, where it's like we have this, you know, hostile work environment or this big focus on quality of life, the Mm -hmm. sexual harassment, Mm -hmm. the, um, you know, um, what do you call it? You know, yeah, hostile work environment or, you know, where people are monsters and um, just unacceptable behavior. You know, unacceptable behavior wasn't a terminology in 1986 mm-hmm. when I started out. You know, sexual harassment wasn't, you know, uh, nice tits. That's what, you know, that's what I heard when, mm-hmm. I, when I was on a set. You know what I mean? Um, so, I mean, it's all new, you know. Um, so, yeah, no. I mean, today, if you were to start in this business, no, it, the quality of life isn't there. But when I started in this business and it was lights, camera, action, and, oh, my gosh, you know, freaking cool. I mean, I was all I was all in. I was mm-hmm. all in, you know, because I didn't know anything else. Yeah, it was know? the price that you were willing to pay dealing with all of that mm-hmm. because of the work that you were doing is, was so exciting. Yeah. And it is exciting. And, <clears throat> you know, I mean, a day like a great day on set is, is the greatest high in the yeah, world. I mean... Is. You know, pulling off that zip line in Haiti, we never even tech scouted it. We got off a cruise ship. We had like made it, made a list of things we needed from this island. You know, to p- make sure they had this stuff, the trucks and the jeeps and the people movers, and mm. getting Kristen Bell and Kelsey Grammer through a zip line course, getting them to the top of this mountain. You know, um, having security guards because people get kidnapped in these kind of places. Oh um, and, you know, shooting it and, and um, you know, having the weather be right and having the camera work and the shot work and, the, and all this stuff. And dying of heat, like literally <laughs> just being soaking wet from sweat. And, like, I'm running around with one of the zipline harnesses on, you know. It was... <laughs> Just nuts, nuts, <laughs> and you know, on the walking and making sure the people are down there. Got the camera set up, and just you know, we had never even been there before. None of these people had even stepped on this island before. And hell yeah, we got it, we got it. And you know, like, and of course, you know, they're supposed to let us have the zip line till eleven thirty, and then over the walk, they're like, oh well, they need to stop the zip line at uh, ten a.m. I'm like, <laughs> no, and then it's like, okay. No, uh, how about 1030? So, like, we're, like, I'm, like, talking to the producers, like, give that guy 100 bucks. Give that guy 100 bucks. We just need a half more hour. You know, you know, it's, like, oh, my gosh. It's just the stress is, is crazy. And yeah. when you get all that and you get it in the can and you're, like, fuck, yeah, we did it. It's just, like, it's better than any drug, mm-hmm. you know. It's, it's incredible, you know. Now, everybody's not like me, you know. People can be, like, oh, I hate this and they're going to do this the rest of my life. But I leave there going, yeah, man, we did it. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like the hardest thing in the world. Mm -hmm. And we did it, you know. So anyway. That's great. Yeah, those are great days. Absolutely. Yeah. I, um, I love what you said about, you know, how your crew sort of banded together to ask the producers for the rest of the day off. And, Mm -hmm. and I, and I think that, you know, when it comes to making, uh, films, the crew cohesion and the, the everybody getting along is so important mm. for the end result. If you have a crew that's not getting along, it shows uh, yeah. in the in the final product. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was wondering if you could talk about, you know, like when you're leading this cohort, 
sort of how you manage that, how you sort of try and create a positive, collaborative environment and one where everyone's respected, you know? Yeah. um, Gosh, there's been so many different examples. I'm not going to name shows, um, Mm -hmm. but but where I started out, um, there was a show um, and... I'll just say because it's good. I can be good. The, the shows we like, I can use the name. Okay. So Law and Order, starting out, Law and Order, The Mothership, you know, yeah. George Zunza, Chris Noth, Michael Moriarty, all those guys back in the day. Um, unbelievably, the best show I've ever worked on, you know, and then all the transitions, Paul Servino and different people coming in. I was there about four or five years. Wow. But it was... The, it was the mothership. I mean, it was it was like the Mercedes Benz of television production. You know, <laughs> it was treating people well. It was um, the producers totally all in. You know what I mean? Cast read throughs, caring. You know, wanting it to make a great product and making a great product. You know. And it, it was it was a ama- it was really an amazing experience, and then there's shows where I've worked on where the producers are just like on their iPhones or checking stock markets and you know not paying attention to anything at production meetings and just like like no no no, and you know saying no to things that could really go a long way you know like creature comforts go a long way with the crew, <laughs> and. Um, so there's been, a, it, and also that um, on those kind of shows, I do try to have goodwill, and I do try to be like the cheerleader of, you know, to get everybody psyched up. Um, but I've been in on sets that the crew gets really bitter, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, what happens is because I'm ad, an ad, like you know, on a budget. There's above the line and there's below the line. Well, ads are the line. We are the line. So mm-hmm. we're neither above the line nor below the line. So we are we are middle management and we and it's stuck and I get stuck there. And it's a very uncomfortable place to be because you're getting complaints from below that we're not being treated fairly, they're doing this, they're doing that, they're doing this. And then I get grouped into that in some ways so then they don't trust me either because I've got to walk the line between the producers so the producers say no tell them that we're not breaking for lunch and that we're doing this and you know da 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 and I'm like okay okay Mm. um all right I will and uh or that we have to do something a certain way I feel for certain I got fired off want a job that um because I refused to do something that they asked me to do. Above the liners. Yeah. But um, unfortunately, I mean, I I end up in the middle of those situations. Yeah. And that's what happens. And you um, need to sort of be an ally to both yes. groups. And it's very, it's, it's very toxic. It feels very toxic. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't like those jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, but I always try to be fair. I mean, one thing is, is I try not to say too much. You know what I mean? One is just to listen. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. I hear you. I know. I know. There's no turnaround. There's no weekends. I know. It sucks. Not even say that. Just listen. Mm-hmm. 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 And, I mean, sometimes that's the best I can do. Instead of try to get into it with them. You know what I mean? To just be an ear yeah. for them. Let them rant. You know, yeah. because there's no winning those arguments with these people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a, lo- a lot of the, some of the people that I'm talking about have been in the business since like the 60s. And so they knew when there was golden time, when there was pay for Saturday, Sunday. And all those things are gone now. And so they feel they're starting out feeling abused. You know what I mean? Um, and, um, and unfortunately that's what, that's what their unions negotiated. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's not me. I didn't do it. I didn't take away their weekend turnaround. You know, I didn't take away the Saturday, Sunday pay or night pay. Mm-hmm. Their unions did, mm-hmm. you know, but how are you going to tell that to 200 pound grip right. at 3am on <clears throat> right. a Friday night? You know what I mean? You're like, I know it's, 
I hear you. I hear you, man. It sucks. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, so, uh, but I have a, I have good energy, good person. It's, I think it's one of the reasons I keep working is that's what I hear is that, uh, my personality and my energy, um, positive, mm-hmm. um, is, you know, keeps me going. You yeah. know what I mean? I think that's, I think that's absolutely true. I think that if you, you know, ADs, I think you're not going to make it far as an AD if you are quick to anger or yeah. quick to buy into that toxic um, energy that can sometimes come up mm-hmm. in a set. Mm-hmm. It really does require a lot of patience and empathy for both people above the line and below the line. Because mm-hmm. everyone, there's so much at stake and there's so many moving pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, you need and I learn from watching others, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I go, how would, you know, how do they handle it? Mm-hmm. You know, how do they handle it? And then I think about my son, who's like, <laughs> when he was a teenager, and like, nothing would affect him. Yeah, or, you know, like, it looked like that. I mean, he was probably dying inside, right, of puberty and all this <laughs> other stuff. But, you know, looking at him, you know, I'd think, what what would a teenage boy do? A teenage boy would be like, so? <laughs> go fuck yourself. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I used to, like, try to put that costume on, you know, like act as if act Mm -hmm. as if you know like yeah so okay like Mm -hmm. have no emotion and as a woman that's nearly impossible to have no emotion but also i think that's the good stuff we bring to a job Mm -hmm. is that we do have emotion and we do have compassion and we we are mothers you Mm -hmm. know and sisters and daughters and and um you know we can we can bring that sort of uh love or compassion to a to the set yeah you know it's interesting that you say that too because you know ratio wise like there are so there are just so few women first ad's as compared with men first ad's Mm -hmm. and and a lot of times the you know the men first ad's that i've met sort of kind of think of it in you can tell that they think of it as like a man's job you know you have to be able to like project confidence Mm -hmm. and control and Mm -hmm. you know you're the head of this group and right. there's because it's a hierarchical system i think that you know this it kind of ref, uh fits in line with like patriarchy and like sure. men being in charge yeah but what like you're women can't is, that's a stunt unit we need a guy to ad that mm-hmm. have you encountered that that kind oh, of attitude yeah. before oh sure yeah yeah white guys and what was that what was that like and and can you think of a situation and what you how you responded to it and how you it happens a lot um that I do have more experience and it's not about it's 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 I've seen a lot of guys pass me by um and you know I can't really you know there's no hard evidence you know what I mean like crew members a, or like producers uh, no, other other male ADs. Oh, I see. Like, get jobs that you should have mm-hmm. been qualified for or should mm-hmm. have gotten. Yeah. But it's a big personality business. You mm. know what I mean? It's it's really about who you know um, and and that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to be a, a finger or blamer. But, I mean, we all, as women, I mean, we all talk about it, a few male ADs, you know. And, yeah, it's predominantly white men, white men. And it's as you look at them and you go, how could they possibly have hired that guy over me? You know, but that's every business, right? How Mm -hmm. could that person have gotten that job? Um, So I don't know if it's really statistically higher in this business than in any other business. You know what I mean? Right. Or just what's predominant in in America, you know, as. uh, Yeah. You know. Have you ever had any issues on set where you felt like people maybe people weren't taking you as seriously oh yeah there was a uh there was a stunt guy uh a stunt no it was a special effects guy and a key grip that i would tell them what to do (laughs) you know like just the director would say we need this and i would let and i'd let them know and they'd be like okay yeah we'll ask the director i'm like really okay and, you know, like, I really felt like like they were, like, uh, silently saying, uh, just step aside, little lady. Just step aside. <laughs> and uh, I was just like, I hate you. 
But yeah, I mean, there's uh, it's not easy. And act as if you got to put your big big girl pants on. You know, mm-hmm. I channel again. I channel my teenage son. You know, like you know, <laughs> you know. I can do this. I can do this. Why not? Why can't I? I've been. You know, I'm so qualified to do this. Amy, thank you so much for speaking with me. This has been a great conversation and oh, very enlightening and. So many wonderful stories from you. Oh, my God. I have a million stories. I'm, I did not try not to bore you with all of them. No, I love it. I love tales from set. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. They're so funny. Thanks for tuning in to another great episode, you guys. This is going to be my last episode for a while because school is starting back up. And uh, I'm about to start production on a short film and then start prepping my thesis project. But I just want to thank you all so much for listening. There will be more episodes, but it may be a little a little while. In the meantime, feel free to contact me if you know of anyone that um, would be a great interviewee. If you yourself would want to be in an episode. If you have any fan mail or hate mail that you want to send me, my email address is onhertermspodcast at gmail.com the music in this episode is a track called unusual fridays number two by unusual i've seen him a couple times in concert uh, as part of a hip-hop duo called dark alley echoes so if you ever get a chance to go see them highly recommend it they are incredibly talented many thanks to amy for being my guest this week and thanks to simon brown for putting me in touch with her it has been such a great experience making this making this series for you guys, and I'm looking forward to doing so again after I take some time off. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to On Her Terms, and I'm Catherine Cuscalan. Mm-hmm.